Thank you, Jesus. Lord God, we love you tonight. We come before you to magnify your name. Oh, Lord God, to recommission our lives before you. To acknowledge you once again as Lord, Master, Savior, Redeemer of our lives. We belong to you totally, oh God. Draw us together in the spirit of unity tonight. Bind us together in your peace tonight. I humbly ask. Cause us to be a unit as we sit under the word and thank you for your word and rejoice. Hallelujah. In your word. Lord God, that we be joined together in one vocation. Oh God. Ready to do your work and fulfill your purpose in this life. Oh, Lord God, we pray in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. A few weeks ago, we spoke about releasing our destiny. And uh, one of these days, we might get back to that. I don't know. Have you um, I want to thank God for John. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Hallelujah. <laughs> Random. Okay, that's all right. Uh, praise God for a job. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Hallelujah. Don't interrupt. Uh, we might get back to that um, as the Lord will, uh, wills. But uh, last night, uh, last week, had us going over some things uh, very important, and uh, He told me very clearly that. We're going to start a new, uh, it's not really a new program because this might be the only lesson we do, but we're going to, going to start a new way of uh, exercising here uh, tomorrow night. Uh, we very well may not do a prayer drive tomorrow night. We may come back tomorrow night and just simply implement what we are hearing tonight. I'm going to have to lay some background for this. Uh, so again, I don't know how long this is going to take. We may need to go a little late tonight. We may need to come back next week. But if I tell you I'm going to come back next week and finish it, the Lord might have a different plan. So I'm going to have to utilize as much as I can tonight. So uh, let's, uh, let's go ahead and uh, just start concentrating here. Let's let all distractions go aside. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's just put them aside right now in the name of Jesus. Let's focus in on the Word. Come on, we, we have every responsibility to learn the Word. It's not just the teacher that has the responsibility to teach. It's everyone else that has the responsibility to learn. Amen. Praise God. So we're not just sitting here in a bath, you know, just trying to get this by osmosis. No, this is an active approach. Amen. Praise God. And everything in the kingdom of God builds on everything else. Line upon line. Precept on precept. Here a little, there a little. And if you're missing little bits here and there, uh, your castle's going to fall down. All right? It's like it's going to be like pulling too, much, too many Jenga pieces. Okay? Eventually, it's going to fall, right? Now, don't act like you've never played that game. All right? Oh, we're too holy to play uh, 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 family games. You should be playing family games more than you should be watching TV, I'll tell you that much. At least it's uh, activity with your family, right? Yes. Praise God. 
I want to review uh, as quickly as I can, and I know my reviews can take half the lesson, but I do want to review because uh, we don't want to just jump into this thing cold. In uh, weeks past, we took the first four commandments out of Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. We took them and we we went over them, not as uh, command, do this, do that, but we kind of brought the Lord, not we, but the Lord broadened the scope. Starting off with, you're not going to have any other gods in my face. Yes. Okay? Brief rundown of what was going on in Israel at the time is everybody remembers Abraham out of the Bible? Mm -hmm. Abram called out of Ur the Chaldees. He moved into the Canaan land. He stayed there. You know, he made some mistakes, but he also did some great things. And he had a son, and he had a couple of sons, and one of those sons had 12 sons. And uh, their families all went down into Egypt. Spent a while down there, and they came out a big nation. And Abraham was a pagan, okay? I should say Abram was a pagan, because Abraham never was. Abram was a, a pagan, but he got called out of that practice. Now, when did they ever start learning about other gods? We don't exactly know. Okay, we don't exactly know. Modern scholastics believe that all the ancients somewhere back 50,000 years ago began to look at the sun as a natural life giver, blah, 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 blah. If you want to study anthropology, it's a bunch of garbage because it has absolutely no bearing uh, or, or, or nothing influenced by the Word of God. Uh, we know the Word of God is true. So we know Adam was made in the image and likeness of God, and we know that he knew who God was because he talked with God. When Adam and Eve fell, they knew what they did because God told them what they did. And even in their children, though, we see that sacrifices unto God were being made. So we know that they continued to teach their children about the Lord. We know that in the days of Seth's son Enos, it says men began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is in the very end of chapter 4 of Genesis. But we understand by just better understanding of the book, in the Hebrew language, especially the ancient biblical Hebrew, that it probably is a closer and better translation to say men began to profane the name of God. Because before that, they had already been calling upon the name of the Lord. They had already been worshiping Him. And we saw what happened to Cain, the second generation, when he thought he was going to go easy. And the Lord said no. It led to him being exiled. Right? That's how serious uh, the Lord was taking his worship in the second generation. So by the fourth generation, I, I don't think that they just all of a sudden learned. No, I think this is when men started to go astray. And we know all the way down, somewhere between those times and the times of Noah, uh, man, everything they did was evil. The Lord said, every thought they have is just the pursuit of evil. I'm going to kill everybody. Except for eight. And He started over again. And these eight that were on that boat, they certainly knew the hand of the one true God. And they began to teach their children the one true God. So how did it all fall apart within a bare few hundred years? Because evil men like Nimrod stood up and began to tell people that 
He was God. And all of a sudden, the truth of the Lord got scattered and distorted when the Tower of Babel fell and when all the languages of the earth were confounded and people began to scatter at the hand of the Lord. And in all of their distorted views, they began to scatter all over the earth. And so most peoples on the earth began to believe in false gods. But it's not just an errant belief that there's many gods as opposed to one. We have an enemy. Yeah. Folks, we have an enemy. Yes. Yes. Let me say it one more time because I know some of you aren't picking up on this. Folks, we have an enemy. Yes. Okay? Yes. Here's the thing. That enemy is the God of your flesh. So when you're operating according to the flesh, you're an enemy to God according to the Word of God. Everybody hear me? So when we're minding carnal things, earthly things, we become an enemy to God because we are now serving the devil. There's really no other way around it. You're either serving God or you're serving Satan. It's not just a quick indulgence. No, it's a service to the devil. Okay? So, the devil had fallen. The devil has, you know, the, according to the book of Revelations, chapter 12, it said the dragon took a third of the stars of the heaven and he had his high-ranking territorial spirits that apparently spread out all over the earth and even had rulership over different regions of the earth. There's some strange passages in the Bible that we will not get into. There's a bunch of them. Uh, tonight's the night to get into that. But we can see a pattern developing that uh, the devil was now the head honcho over the rulers of the earth. Okay, we're going to read some scriptures in just a little bit. But by the time Abram comes along, the Lord says, I'm sick of this. I'm totally sick of this. I wiped out all those titans before the flood. These men of renown, these mighty men who rose up and put their fist in the face of God. Now whether you believe they were actually an angel-human hybrid or just very evil men, it doesn't matter. Someone stood up against God and said, we will not serve you. And God said, I am still in charge. I'll wipe you all out. And it was said that Noah was pure in his generations. Which means whatever. It was either a mixture of good and evil lines or it was a mixture of supernatural means that we can't even understand. And I'm not here to present one view or the other. I'm just saying both views are out there and both views can be argued from Scripture. But whichever one it is, something bad was happening on the earth. And there were giants in the earth and these giants were evil. These giants, gigantes in Greek, were not just large-bodied, even though they were, but they were largely against God. They were fallen ones. They had fallen from any grace that God could give them. God wiped them out. But then men rose up and said, we'll be gods. There are some historical accounts that record Nimrod saying, I'm the God that delivered you from the flood. Because the flood was still fresh in people's memories back in those days. By the time we get down to Abram, the Lord said, okay, I'll never destroy the whole earth in a flood again, but I'm absolutely sick of this false god worship. I have to have a people for me. Because I have to bring Messiah through a people. 
And there's got to be a people that Messiah comes through. And these people have to teach the truth. So we believe that people like Shem were still alive, Eber was still alive, and maybe they even helped out Abram perfect his understanding in the things of God. We don't know. We have no record of it. But if we read the timelines laid out in the book of Genesis, these men would have still been alive. We get the word Semitic from Shem. We get the word Hebrew from Eber. And we get the word uh, Israelites from Jacob. And we get the word Jew from Judah. So all of these men had taken part in the molding of the faith of Israel. Everybody with me? So when Abram finally got into the promised land, he was totally sold and convinced on the one true God. Uh, uh, Anthropologists and even modern uh, biblical scholars uh, who actually believe there was an Abraham will say that he basically invented the idea of monotheism. No, he did not. It was always the truth, and I know we all know that. But we got to understand what's going on. we got to understand what's going on from a very natural or a very Old Testament viewpoint. The Lord said, I won't have it. I won't have it. There were things that it's kind of like everybody knew, but they disobeyed. So God pushed that all away. And now the devil changed up his tactics and just began to give false information into the world. He's still doing that today, by the way. See, in those days, he said there are all these different gods. Now, uh, there was a point along the way that the devil switched up again. See, God doesn't switch up, but the devil does. He started to say, there is no God. Now we're in a place where the world's religion uh, by about 50% now is there is no God. There is no God to serve. There is no one to face. There is no life after this. We just, uh, our energy returns to the universe and our consciousness just fades into nothing because that comforts folks. I'd rather fade into black rather than face the Creator God. Because something down inside of each and every one of us, according to Romans 12, 30, uh, uh, verse 3, says to every man that's been given the measure of faith, inside of every single one of us knows there is a God to face. And so, again, in the book of Romans chapter 1, they began to dismantle that God. The devil, through agents, began to dismantle that God and bring Him down to the level uh, of, of man and then even lower to the level of beast and four footed things and you, you know what I'm talking about all those Egyptian gods with the funny animal heads and, and then later other, other mythologies that had similar type things going on but then the devil went even a step further to make God even under that he brought the idea of God down into nothingness so the Lord said, I'm not going to have it anymore. He's raised up a people. He raised up a people that taught the one true God. He gave them the land of pagans. They, went, they came out of a land of pagans. And God disrupted every one of their gods. And that's what He was doing. That's what He was doing when He turned the Nile to blood. The Nile was a source of life for the Egyptians. They worshipped it as a god. So He corrupted the waters of the Nile. They worshipped frogs. They worshipped flies. They worshipped alligators and things like this, the creatures that live in the Nile. They worshipped all these different things. They worshipped the sun. So the Lord turned the sun off for three days. They worshipped the lineage of their pharaohs and the lineage of firstborns because they taught that 
their Pharaoh, their original Pharaoh was God, and all Pharaohs were the descendant of that God, and so he cut the power of the firstborn out of Egypt. Every single plague he spent upon Egypt was a direct uh, disannulling of God power and brought them out. And Jesus came along doing the same thing. He changed water into wine, showing them that Bacchus, the the god of wine, is no god at all. He raised the dead, showing us that Hades has no power over me. He did did all kinds of miraculous things, and each and every one was to show the people of the land there is no god but one god. That's what every miracle Jesus did was all about. That's what every plague He did in Egypt was all about. And so when He brought them out, it was to be expected that this one true God could take care of them in a place that no one can live. That food can come out of heaven and water can come out of a rock and all of their daily needs can continue to be met and yet they still complained and they still murmured and God, by the way, God hates murmuring and complaining. If you didn't figure that out by reading the Bible, then figure it out by listening to me. God absolutely hates complaining. He doesn't hate complainers, but He's been shown willing to wipe out complainers because they disrupt the rest of the body. Don't complain about your lot in life. Trust that God is able to take care of you. Don't turn to another God. What did they do when Moses went up into the thick darkness? The first thing they did was, we need a God to worship. So they erected one of their old Egyptian gods, the golden calf. That golden calf would go on to be a plague to Israel for the rest of the days of Israel. Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, would raise up two golden calves, one in Shiloh, one in Dan, and they would serve those golden calves until the Assyrians came in and absolutely ripped the inhabitants of the land of Israel out and scattered them all throughout the earth. Everybody think that's serious? Yes. Anybody believe God's serious about these kind of things? Yes, yes. He was. You're not, and so when He was up on that mountain, He was telling His people, you guys have been watching the ancient version of TV. You've been reading the ancient version of comic books. And you've learned different mythos. And you've learned different entertainments. And you've learned this is okay. And you've learned that's proper medical practice. And you, you've learned that this is how, how to interact with your spouse and your families. But I'm telling you, all that garbage is wrong. And all of it comes from the devil. You're not going to have any of these gods in my face. When you're going to worship me, you've got to get this stuff out. Why? Was it just because God is an egomaniac? Because He's a megalomaniac. Because He's a selfish, pedantic, capricious God sitting high upon His throne saying, "Uh, I need worship from all these little scumbags or I'll burn them like ants with a magnifying glass. No, no, no. That's not the God we serve. Why does God say, get these gods out of my face? Because He knows what we worship we will become. If we worship lust, we become lust. If we worship fear, we become fear. If we worship death, we become death. We spread death like a plague. I've got a lot of things to say tonight, and I'm trying to get there, but we'll we'll get to whatever God lets us get to. He starts off and says, 
in Exodus 20, and God spake all these things, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of the house of bondage. You will have no other gods before me. In my face, literally in the Hebrew. You will not put them in my face. Because I want to be intimate with you, and I can't be intimate with you if there's someone between me and you. So the first thing he's talking about is get rid of the gods. Right? And if, he, if we didn't think he was serious enough, that commandment goes on. We, I know we always think of it as the second commandment, but bear with me for a little bit. This idea continues either way in verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So here we go. Why no images? Because we were made in the image and likeness of God. So we are not going to then reverse the process and bring the Almighty God who cannot be imaged by us, us being an image of Him. We, whatever image we would try to make of Him is going to be so far off the mark. He said no images. Because it's always going to be something stupid like a sun symbol or an eagle symbol or other symbols that are equally base. And completely off the mark. Everybody hear me? Yes. I'm not trying to bore you tonight. I'm trying to impart to you the seriousness of what God is saying. It was so serious. He said, you are to be my imager. What does it mean to be made in the image and likeness of God? I know we spoke on this weeks and weeks ago. But what does that mean? It really kind of means we are His imagers. Because God... Is the Spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. So God had no physical form that we could see. So how could we be in His image? No, we were His imagers. In other words, when people saw us, that's the only way they can see God. By looking at us, Jesus went so far as to say, when you see me, you've seen the Father. Bringing the same idea out. We're not talking about this crude flesh here, what Paul calls vile flesh, which we might read a little later in Philippians 3, if if the Lord lets me get to it. But I want to add one more idea into this before we move on. He says, you're not going to make any graven image. You're You're not going to put anything in between us. Like Psalm 2 says, kiss the son, lest he be angry. I want to be intimate with you. I can't be if there's something in my face. Or I can't be if you're looking at someone else I'm a jealous God so we know jealousy always has to do with with uh, romantic couples amen yes you can be jealous in other ways but it always has to do with a relationship jealousy always lives within a relationship so we know this is what it's about I am jealous I'm jealous of you I'm jealous when you look at someone else but then he adds one more idea to this he said, if those people hate me, they will have generations of badness filtering in. He said only three or four. That's not so bad. Well, yes, it is. Yes, it is. 
Most people don't even know their great-grandfathers, or never did. Some of, it, some of us have had that privilege to know our great-grandparents. I never even hardly knew my grandparents, never my great-grandparents. But some people have had that privilege in life, but years and years ago, it was common to only know your grandparents, and, and your great-grandparents were just a memory uh, that they, they would tell you about. Everybody with me? Well, you've got, you've got one set of parents. They have children. That's, they have children, another generation. They have children, fourth generation. These guys are the great-grandparents to these guys, right? What he's saying is the common, the common situation of life in those days, in the days of Noah, where people were living around 100, 120 years, it was common to only go so much uh, to know as far back as your great-grandparents. It was possible in those days that they could know their great-grandparents. Everybody okay? Yeah. All right? And so basically the Lord was saying, I will put a curse in a family. But this is something a lot of times we don't think about. What if the second generation also hates God? The curse continues through them. What if the third generation doesn't wake up and continues to hate God? Well, the three and four generations continue through them. And it just starts stretching in time. Right? But people that love God, God gives a chance for a thousand generations. Here's the good news. No one in his family, I believe, loved God. And if you believe the numbers in the Bible, which I do, from no until now there has not yet been ten genera- uh, a thousand generations. How is that significant? Because Noah, Noah loved God, Right? And it hasn't yet been a thousand generations. That means every person on the face of this planet right now has a chance. Because God's love will still visit anyone. Because we're all in some way a child of Noah. I know further back we're the children of Adam, but we're all the children of Noah and his three sons, or one of his three sons, okay? So that's the promise we can keep. But more specifically, there are generational things that can come into our life when we are serving God. This is the place in the Bible that we get these generational understandings from. Generations start coming in and curses in our generations come in where? When it's talking about serving other gods. So there are things that come down to every one of us. It comes down to our parents. Jeremiah said, we have inherited lies from our fathers. And not from our teachers. Not from our politicians and leaders. You know, nope. From our fathers. That's where, it's, that's where it really becomes important. Okay? Because our fathers should be controlling where their children are getting their education from. Okay? Our, our fathers should be controlling uh, what political ideas that you have in your family. The father should be controlling what's going to happen and how a family should be living. So it says in Jeremiah, we've inherited lies from our fathers. Things come through our genetic bloodlines and sometimes we just don't know how to do it. And there's not a single person in this room tonight or even listening to me online that has not had something come down from their parents. Something that you can't control in your life. Something that you don't know what to do with. Something that you've cried out to God many a night uh, with tears leaking down your face saying, Lord, how do I get rid of this? 
Thank you for saying amen. And the rest of you that didn't say amen, you know it's true anyway. Every one of us, we try to act bold and we try to put on a good face, but that's not what church is about. Church is not about coming and acting holy. Church is coming uh, uh, to gather together to hear the Word of God and to change as the Word of God is delivered to us by the Spirit of the living God. We're not supposed to come to church and just walk away feeling like we ticked the box. We're not supposed to come in here to fall asleep on the Word of God or to ignore it or to act like it's a mere suggestion. Too many people have done that down through the years. And they've fallen flat. And they don't go any, any, any further because they don't take the authority of God serious. But what I'm trying to do here tonight is implant into you the seriousness of God when we have other things in our life. When you have shame in your life, it is a God. When you have fears in your life, it is a God. And it's not the one true God. When you have certain addictions and lusts in your life, it's a God and we need to get rid of it because we will not be pleasing to the one true God without getting rid of it. Amen. And you're going to have to just bear up under some loud uh, teaching tonight because this is very serious in the heart of God. And it's time to get rid of generational things. We have been taught by example. I know you definitely have not been taught this by my words, but we've been taught by example that, well, we just kind of go along to get along. We, uh, we just kind of go to church and we kind of sweep the secret things under the carpet and we come and we act like everything's good. And, you know, we, uh, years and years ago, they came out with this uh, unspoken prayer request. You never see unspoken prayer requests in the Bible. <laughs> When people really have a need, they'll smoke on their chest standing in the temple and say, it's me, it's me. I stand in the need of prayer. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Instead of the pious Pharisee, oh, I thank God that I give tithe and you know I'm such a cool guy and I'm not some scumbag like this guy over here. No, when you're serious, you begin to cry out to God. When you're serious... You understand there's an enemy. That's why I started off by saying we have an enemy, folks. Sometimes we want to ignore the fact that we have an enemy. You cannot ignore the fact you're in, you have an enemy. We have an enemy, which means we are at war. You cannot ignore the enemy when you are at war. See, some people, that's what they try to do. They try to just act like the devil's not really there. And the devil's not really trying to kill me. Folks, we need to wake up. And understand, there is a spiritual being out there that if he is able to, he's going to kill you. And it's not just by sickness or some disease or car accident or something like that. No, he's going to try to kill your spirit. He's going to try to get you to kill yourself. He's going to try to give you a spirit of insanity. He's going to try to cripple you with shame and with fear, knowing that whatever you worship on that altar, you will become. So the Lord says, enough of this. Enough of this. You've got to serve me. He goes on to say, don't take my name in vain. Don't. Don't act like 
Because you're the... I mean, how many times have we heard that? We're the people of the name. What we really mean is we're the real saved ones and all the other Christians in the world are just a bunch of scumbags and they're all going to hell. Hey, listen. I think there's a lot of apostolics on the road to hell. You hear me, folks. Because I'm serious tonight. I think there's a lot of apostolics on the road to hell because of attitudes like that. I'm not saying all the other denominations out there are fine and dandy and oh, let's just all love each other in this big ecumenical movement and let's all just hold hands and, and traipse into heaven together. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we stand for truth and we project Jesus Christ in our life. You cannot do that serving another God. If you try to go out into the world and try to win a soul and you're crippled with fear, first of all, you'll never talk to much about Jesus. Second of all, you'll never shine Jesus. They will never come to God through you, or through the through the, the the watching of your life. It won't happen. So when he says, "Don't take my name in vain," it's the, we're not just talking about words here. Let, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Proverbs chapter thirty. Oh, I'm getting hot, and I know it's not just the weather. Proverbs chapter 30. In verse number 5 it says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Hear the words of this prophet here. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to them that put their trust in Him. Add thou not to His words, lest He reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Two things I have required of thee. Deny me not them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity. And lies, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. The example that this king here, uh, he's called the words of Agar, the son of Jekah, even the prophecy, the man spake unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel and Hukal, you know, Whoever those guys were, some people say they're euphemisms for Solomon. I, I don't even know, but whoever Agar is and, and all this stuff, or Agur, um, this man has some great understandings. And he said, listen, I don't want to take the name of my God in vain because I don't have enough. What he's saying is you need to trust in God. Don't add to His Word. And we know Deuteronomy and the book of Revelation both says don't take away either. Right? Don't take away either. But don't try to add to what God's doing. Don't try to add to what God is saying. Now, there is a preceding Word of God, but that's the Word of God by the Spirit. Amen? Amen. And it will never contradict the foundational Word, the static Word of God. Come on, we all know this stuff. It's okay to say Amen. So, we get this understanding, taking the name of the Lord in vain is not just speaking words. It can be an act of your life. Because if he's poor and doesn't have enough to eat, he might go out there and steal. And he might get caught stealing. And as a man of God, he might have people see him steal. And what he is saying is, that would be taking the name of God that is on my life. It would be showing the world that God is powerless to keep His people. 
When the Psalms say, I have never seen his seed begging bread. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I had a minister ask me one time, I mean, and, and this person challenged me personally because I dared to quote the verse. Because there was a situation in the church and there was a person that was in need and the church at the time could not supply it. And I said, we'll pray. This person challenged me and said, if, you know, if James says that uh, you, know, you can't just pray for them and say be blessed, you have to show faith by works. I said, yes, I understand. But I'm broke. The church is broke. We can't help them right now. All I can do is cry unto God and say, I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And this person challenged me personally. Then what about all the poor Christians that have died hungry and blah, blah, blah. And I went right back at this person and said, are you calling God a liar? Hey, there, there comes a point where we just, we just have to understand. Are we, do, do we really believe God or not? Listen, if there's a person that has the name of the Lord upon them, and if He's their seed, and He's their righteous ones, they'll be afflicted, but the Lord will deliver them out of all their afflictions. He never promised they wouldn't be afflicted. But He did promise He would deliver them out of it. And so if someone dies outside of the promise, then I've got to understand According to the Word of God, that He never forsook them. I may not know all of it. It might have been their time to go because they were righteous. Or it might be that they weren't trusted in God at all and they were faking it. I don't know. Not my judgment call. That's between them and God. But I've got to believe the Word of God. It's true no matter what. And the audacity of this particular minister, and they were a minister... To, to challenge another man of God on the point, hey, you need to be taking this to the Almighty. I'm only His servant. Mm -hmm. You want to ask those kind of questions, don't make me responsible for the Word of God. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. it, it's just the audacity of people, but that tells you how much they don't believe and how much they're really kind of hurting because they feel like God's let them down. Well, this is a lie of the enemy. Right. It's a God of deception that we've served at their table. We've got to get these things out of our life. Man, I'm not moving very quick, but let, let me try to get going. We, the last one's about the Sabbath. We'll leave you alone on that one for now because we talked that one before. But let, let's, let's move into this thing. I want, you to, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read a series of verses here. Trying to lay down some groundwork before we really get into it. We're trying to get into getting rid of these gods. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand because it's not show and tell. But is there anybody here? You don't have to raise your voice, answer out loud. You don't have to do any of that. But is there at least one person in this room that's interested in getting rid of generational gods? You can call them curses or spirits or tendencies or failures or weaknesses or whatever. Come on. If alcoholism has come down through your family, are you wanting to get rid of that out of your family right now tonight? Come on, if some other kind of form of a fear or addiction has come down through your family, or are you wanting to get rid of that out of your life tonight? It might not go tonight, but are you willing to at least find some method to really get rid of it? Come on, see, folks, I, I know I didn't ask you to speak out loud. Folks, we have 
Unfortunately, I'll say this again, you might not have heard it preached across a pulpit, but we've learned by example that we just have to sit around waiting for a powerful enough man of God to come along to deliver us. Folks, shame on us for thinking that way. Because we have the living God living inside of us 24-7. And that living God inspired one of His servants to write one, uh, sometime 1900 years ago and change and said, these signs will follow them that believe. If you're a believer, signs will follow you. But often what we look for is we look for a big name preacher that works in the gifts of the Spirit or in works of prophecy or in works of healing. And we're waiting around for someone powerful enough to be able to lay their hands on us and get rid of all of our junk. When we're not seeking God the way we should. When we're not believing God the way we should. Folks, we cannot afford in these last and evil days to wait around for someone powerful enough because you've got power enough inside of you. Else Jesus would not have said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. If you have the Holy Ghost, you have power enough. You have power enough to reach out to someone and say, silver and gold have I none, but I'll give you what I have. How could they give Him anything? Because they had something. Well, that was the apostles that did that. If you want to play cop-out Christianity, you go ahead and play that in the sandbox of religion all you want. But I can guarantee you, you will never get out of that sandbox. Woo, Lord God, help us. Pastor's angry. No, pastor's not angry. Pastor's hot with the Holy Ghost tonight. Praise God. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have all knowledge. Stop! Don't ever think you know anything without doing a little bit more research. Knowledge is just going to make us feel all self-important. But love and action is really what's going to build a church. What Paul is saying is, even though I'm well versed in this subject, what I'm trying to do is show you love in action. This is not about just giving you a bunch of knowledge that I've accrued over many years. This is about showing you how to do something with your life. Mm-hmm. Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, somebody give God yeah. some thanks. Come on, what an honor and a privilege that the mighty God would look down upon us and say, my people need help. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. He goes on to say, If any man think that he knoweth anything, he doesn't know anything yet as he ought to know. Folks, that's every single one of us. If you think you're well-versed in a subject, you don't know it anywhere near as much as you need to know it already. And that's the best subject you know. If you went to college and you got a master's degree or a PhD, and you wrote your thesis and became an expert on that particular subject, even in that subject, there's things to learn. In any subject in the, in the, in the Word of God, you don't know everything. 
You don't know everything. That's why we got to keep seeking God. Because He knows everything. But if any man love God, the saint is known of Him. And concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. Now, how many came to church tonight knowing that already? Three of you. Good. Praise God. Now, the rest of you, uh, I'm going to have to back up. There's only one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. One Lord, sorry. One Lord. I can quote it in Hebrew if you'd like me to. No, we don't need to show off. Okay? There's only one God. For those of you who didn't raise your hand. There's no other God but the one God. So why are we, why are we even messing with the idea of uh, giving uh, sacrifice to idols? Well, let's continue. Maybe we'll get a little bit more understanding. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or earth, as there be gods many and lords, many. Paul's confused. Poor guy. He must be getting a little up there in age. Must be going through some dementia. I think he forgot when he wrote the line before, right? That there's only one God. There's no other gods. The very next line, he says, because there's lords many and gods many, right? Right. What on earth is he talking about? Verse 6, But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus, by whom are all things, and we by Him. Now we're not here to give you a Godhead lesson tonight. We're here to show you what is going on. Paul in one case says there's only one God. And yet he says there's a lot of lords and a lot of gods. Those gods are the devil. All those pagan gods, they're demons. There are demons that have taken over territories in the earth. There's demons that are have uh, specialized in one area or another or maybe even multiple areas. There's, there's devils under the authority of the main, whatever you want to call them, Lucifer, Satan, the devil, the dragon, whatever, okay? The enemy. These are the gods. Now we know there's only one God, but we also know there is a devil who likes to get us to serve Him. Come on. This devil was so audacious that he tried to get Jesus to worship Him. Now you gotta, you got to know that if the devil is going so far to try to get Jesus to worship Him, he is absolutely after you. And he's after your worship. You might think it's innocent you know, to watch the Super Bowl and watch the halftime show with all this demonic imagery on it. And, you know, you might think it's just innocent entertainment to listen to all this worldly music uh, from people who have absolutely sold their souls to Satan and have entered into secret councils and secret covenants with Satan. That's the reason why, folks, we got to cut all this garbage out of our life. There ain't nothing innocent about it. We, I mean, how many artists that we know out there well, one, of, one, of the, one of these people that absolutely have sold their heart to Satan, and they'll let you know it, is a very popular artist. Well, she was popular some time back. She probably still is. I don't keep up with any kind of modern pop music, but most of us, especially our young people, will know the name Katy Perry. She used to be a Christian singer, and she sold her soul to the devil for fame. Her first song that made her famous was I Kissed a Girl. 
And the song says, I kissed a girl and I liked it. And she came from a Christian home. She started off by, she, she had had a God-given talent to sing and praise and worship the Lord her God. And she turned it into fame. And she did that by contracting herself to Satan. That's the reason why there's so much demonic imagery in her music and in her presentations and even what she says in interviews. Folks, we cannot afford to play around with stuff and just think it's no big deal. We're serving false gods when we do this stuff. You've got to be careful of the imagery that you wear on your body. And for God's sake, don't get a tattoo on your body. That stuff doesn't come off. You know, I've even heard Christians say, well, I'm going to get Bible verses, you know, tattooed on my body. Folks, don't mess around with it. I know it's an Old Testament scripture. But, you know, there's a lot of people that go out there and they get these, these Chinese uh, tattoos on their body because someone told them that it means something cool. And then you find out it's in some sort of a curse or insult in Chinese. Idiot, you didn't even do enough research to find out what it really meant. And now it's indelibly imprinted upon you. But some people are going out there, they're saying, Oh, I'm gonna get, you know, I'm gonna wear a, a star of David around because I, you know, I, I pray for the Israelite people. Don't wear that around your neck. You don't know where it came from. It's a demonic symbol. Some, so we, we think that the peace symbol you know, is, is really cool and all that. You know what the peace symbol is? It's a cross turned upside down with the crossbars broken, inscribed in a circle. It came from witchcraft. It did not come from the idea of peace. And we just do stuff because the world says it's okay and we just do it. We do no research. Folks, these are symbols of God's. And these are the marks of God's. And we don't need to mess around with it. And I know you haven't heard pa Pastor preach about this stuff in a long, long time. And you, you haven't heard him get so hard on this stuff for a long, long time. But folks, we're getting too close to the end to play around with Amen. entertainment. Amen. And making us ourselves feel good or, or look nice or whatever. We don't even have time for that. It's time, young people, to let God choose your partner for you and stop worrying about being attractive. I'm serious about that. Well, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with looking out. Just shut up and let God uh, work in your life. And stop making excuses for being carnal. I know. I know some of you are going to walk away and say, oh man, he, he went too far. And I, I know. I know. I know. But listen, you got to understand the spirit that is in this room tonight. Okay? We have invited the Holy Ghost to talk straight to us. Because we want generational curses gone. Amen. And if we don't understand how bad they are, they will never get gone. That's right. So we got to just get some loudmouth preacher in our face every once in a while and, and shake us up enough to let us know this is real. This is not some uh, a game of, uh, of uh, tiddlywinks we're playing here. I couldn't think of a good enough term. Sorry about that. Anyway, we're looking at this. There's gods, lords, many. But to us there's only one God. Verse number 7 says, How be it there's not in every man that knowledge? For some with conscience, and he goes on to talk about these meat offered to idols. You know, if you just read chapter 8, you might think it's really no big deal. 
Because Paul's basically saying, hey, listen, you know, everybody doesn't understand, and we know there's really no God. So blah, blah, blah. Well, in just a couple of chapters, he says, don't eat the, at the table of devils. See, you've got to keep reading the letter, right? This is why we talk so much about context. Because if you just read chapter 8, you might walk away saying, oh, that's not really no big deal eating at the table of a false god. You keep reading, and Paul says, don't eat at the, uh, the, at the table of demons. He makes it very clear. These false gods are demons. Don't do it. Don't play around with it. He's trying to make an edifying point in chapter 8, but he's making a strict command in chapter 10 or wherever it is that he says that. Everybody all right? Can you handle a little bit more? All right. Let's look at some of these scriptures I've written down here. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now I am going to take these out of context just because of time's sake. Uh, you write them down in your notes. Or you listen to the recording, or uh, you um, <clears throat> otherwise look it up later. But we're, we're just going to go as quickly as we can. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 4 says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but he starts off by saying, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And why are they lost? Because he says the God of this world has blinded their eyes. <coughs> Paul calls the devil the enemy. Listen, I can't stay. I want to say it again. Folks, we have an enemy. That means we're at war. You can't ignore your enemy when you are at war. You've got to understand there's a devil trying to kill you in any way he can. You cannot ignore him. Paul says we are not ignorant of his devices. But I'm here to tell you there's a lot of God's people that are absolutely ignorant of the devil's devices because they're not seeking God. They're, they don't care to learn. They, they just care to let God heal them so that they can get on living the life they want to live without really serving God. All the while telling themselves they're serving God. But again, they're being deceived. And they're deceiving others too. Let's look at another verse. Uh, we're going to be talking about the prince now. A lot of these, well, all of these verses are in the book of John starting in John chapter 12, verse 31. Uh, Jesus in the book of John in particular, John, like we talked a little bit about on Sunday, John, no, actually it was last Wednesday, uh, John is the Hanan gospel. By the way, does anybody remember what Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called? Synoptic gospel is good. <laughs> I told you you only had to remember that last week. But so if you didn't remember it this week, you're fine. But uh, we got at least one person to remember. Praise God. Thank you, Brother Tim. Anyway, um, we see in John chapter 12, verse 31, it says this. 
Uh, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But the point I'm trying to make here is that Jesus is calling him the prince. Now, uh, a little later in that same chapter, verse 40, he says, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. Now, see, here, what we're looking at him quoting out of Isaiah and John spins it just a little different. See, normally we would look at it as God is actually blinding their eyes. John spins it more like it's, it's the devil that's blinding their eyes. And that's up to debate. But anyway, uh, you can see where I'm going with this. I use that just because Paul says he's blinded. Our, he's Well, not my eyes in the name of Jesus, not my eyes. But he's blinded a lot of people's eyes that are lost. Uh, chapter 14, verse 30 says this, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Oh, Lord Jesus, that every one of your people would be able to say the very same thing. The prince of this world has nothing in me. The prince of this world has nothing in me, and he has nothing of mine. He does not own me in any regard, and I do not serve him to any degree. Oh, let it be so that your people can say that. If they can't say it tonight, let it be soon, Lord God, that we can quote the words of Jesus Christ in holy proclamation and say the prince of this world has nothing in me. Praise God. But he's calling him a prince. Chapter 16, verse 11. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Now, uh, that's a little bit too out of context. He's, he's promising, uh, promising us the coming comfort. Verse 8, And when He has come, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on Me. Of righteousness because I go to My Father and you see Me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So He says, listen, what's going to happen is... Uh, we're, we're, we're going to be getting judged or reproved, rather, within these departments, sin, righteousness of judgment. Oh, okay, then if we're being reproved and, and the, the prince of this world uh, is judged, then what does that have to do with us? What Jesus is hinting at is a lot of God's people, whether they know it or not, are serving at demons' tables, and they're going to be judged because the demon is being judged. And not just the demon, the prince himself is going to be judged. Can I say it one more time? Folks, we have an enemy, which means we are at war. And at war, in war, you cannot ignore your enemy. Let's look at another one. A couple of verses in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. And because it's verse 2, I'll just go ahead and read verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2 says... And you he hath quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That, that's a big clue there. That means they've been given commands that they decided not to obey. So now they're serving the prince of the power of the air. Chapter 6, verse 12 says this. We all know it. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We know this. 
We're in a war. And it's not against flesh. So get out of your flesh. Because if you're in flesh, you're serving the devil. By default, you're serving the devil. Okay. Now, we've used up a lot of our time. And I warned you, we might have to go a little late. Got about 10 minutes. Anybody willing to go a little bit longer than 8.30 tonight? If you really can't stay, then you're welcome to leave. But I would implore you, somehow get a recording of this. Okay? Or, or stay to the end. Alright? I don't know how long it's going to take to do this. But this is a, a method that the Holy Ghost has brought to me through Dr. Jeffers in particular. Now, the message about going through the first four commandments, serving and loving God, you know, these are things that the Lord has been downloading me over the last several months in preparation for what we're going to do tonight and very possibly continuing on with tomorrow night in our prayer session. Okay? It comes down to, it, it, you can call it what you like, it doesn't matter, okay? Dr. Jeffers calls this the six R's. I like patterns that are in sevens. So there might be that there's another step to this that we're not yet uh, knowing yet, that we haven't been revealed to us yet, but right now we're calling it the six R's, okay? So you can call it whatever you want, but the method is sound. But I'm going to give you a warning But even before we, we get into this. This method is to take down gods of shame, gods of fear, gods of addiction, gods of, of any generational curse. Now we can call it a curse, but it's a generational demon. It's a generational spirit. It's a generational curse. It's a generational God. Okay? Well, however you want to think of it, but we're really looking at getting rid of gods. Okay? This is a method of getting this out of your life. Now, when you start messing with what the devil considers his territory, he feels like he's got nowhere else to go, he's got nothing to lose, and so all hell breaks loose. So if you want to get rid of stuff, you better make up your mind tonight, and maybe tomorrow night, that you really want to get rid of it. Because you've got to prepare for a battle. Okay? We're not going to sprinkle some magic incantation over you. We're not going to tell you some repeat after me prayers so that after you do it, your life is going to be all sunshine and roses. No, what we're going to tell you is to put on your armor and get ready for a fight. Listen, every part of us is covered. Our head is covered in salvation. Our heart is covered in righteousness. Our our uh, vital organs are covered in truth. Our left arms are covered in faith. Our right arm uh, holds the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And our feet are prepared to preach the Gospel and to bring peace. Folks, we are not without our armaments. This is not to promote fear. This is simply a warning. If you're not ready to take on these generational gods... Don't play around with this. Hear me. Because when we start messing with... Sorry, wrong word. When we start dealing with this kind of level, the devil says, hey, wait a minute. I've been in their generation for many years. I don't want to leave. And when we start shaking him loose, he starts fighting. That's why I've been repeating over and over and over. You cannot afford to ignore the devil. 
He's our enemy. So, I feel like I've given you fair warning. Alright? Uh, the first one, which shouldn't surprise any of us, is repent. This is the first of the six R's. Repent. And because we're dealing with generational gods, we're not just repenting for us. We're actually repenting on the behalf of our lineage. Now, there's one notable scripture that we can go to for this. This is Daniel chapter 9 where Daniel says, We have sinned. Now, Daniel was a righteous man. Now, Daniel was a human, and so he would have had personal failures. But we also know Daniel was a righteous prophet of God, right? So why is he repenting for the sins of Israel? Because he got commissioned to do so. I'm going to tell you a quick story. It's got, it's got to be quick because we're running out of time. Back in uh, April, we went out to Shipshawana, Indiana. And we were out there. Uh, we were feeling a heavy burden for the native or the ancient native population that was in Shipshawana that got pushed out by uh, the government. You know, men like Thomas Jefferson and Andrew Jackson and uh, different uh, presidents like this who really treated the native folks in this land very awfully. No matter how we respect them as presidents of the United States, they did not do right when it came to certain things because of their attitudes. Well, they're just a bunch of heathen pagans, uh, you know, a bunch of primitive people. They don't know nothing anyway, so it, it doesn't matter if we just rip them out of their lamb and make them walk the trail of tears and have many of them die. Well, there was a similar type of situation coming out of Shipshawana. Without warning, they took a village and made them walk uh, about 600 miles in about uh, six days, seven days. It's like, how on earth could they walk 100 miles in a, in a day? That, that's like impossible for humans to do. So there's some of those, wrong, were, uh, uh, some of those numbers have to be wrong. But um, a lot of those people died on that trek down to modern-day Kansas, and most of them were children. And uh, they just totally pulled these people out of their land unrighteously just because they wanted the land. The, the government wanted the land for settlers. And uh, it didn't matter that there was already people living there, you know. So some years later, the chief of that people said, can I go back to, my, to the lake where I grew up on, uh, lake, now called Lake Shipshawana. He goes back there and he died the year later. And he's got a little memorial stone in a little community down by the lake. And it's just like a forgotten memory in Indiana. Well, we felt very burdened while we were out there, and we were praying on the behalf because it was the Mennonite uh, settlers that actually came into that area first, and they filled up that whole land in that area. It was the Mennonites, and uh, Brother and Sister Good are ex-Mennonites, and so they, um, they, on the behalf of their people, began to repent. Lord, we're sorry on the behalf of our people for abusing. It wasn't us that ran them off the land because Mennonites are pacifists, but it, we took advantage of their pain and suffering to make prosperity for ourselves. And they did get very prosperous. Well, we're out on the lake and we're praying out by the lake and Dean and Kathy over here and me and my wife are 20 feet away or so and I knelt, the, the grass was wet because it had rained the day before. 
uh, I knelt, knelt down in the grass by the lakeside, my knees getting wet, it, it just kind of soaked through, but I felt like I needed to go out down on my knees, and I began to forgive what was done, because the Lord, right there in that moment, reminded me, you have native blood. I know looking at me, I don't look any part native, but I do have native blood. And I also have African blood. We found this out through DNA tests. I have both African blood and Native American blood. And I have been able to forgive on the behalf of my people and repent on the behalf of my white people. Because I have all this different blood in me. And this is generations past. And when I was kneeling down at that lakeside, I began to repent or rather forgive on the behalf of the native folks. I forgive what the white man has done for us in order to see the land healed. And if you, some of you are going to think that's bizarre and loopy, but I'm going to tell you right now, there was confirmation in the Holy Ghost. And we, and me and my wife in that moment knew this is exactly what we needed to do because she's part native as well. And she's also part African. So we both have European blood, African blood, and Native American blood. Now, that's not necessarily unusual, especially in the United States. Okay? We're, we're a melting pot. There's every kind of people in our, our nation. But it just so happens me and my wife have the same three kind of ancestors, European, African, and Native. And that's all we have. We don't have any Asian or anything like that, you know? But we can, as a team, repent, uh, rather forgive. So what I'm saying is God has given it into our charge at times to repent for our people. And even we can forgive on the behalf of our people. The Bible says, whoso sins you remit, they are remitted. Folks, we ought not to ignore these passages in the Bible. I know it makes us nervous, like, oh, we're taking on the power of God. If God gives us that kind of authority... And we, he's given it to us for a reason, not just to ignore because we don't understand it. That's where revelation comes in. I know it's 8.30, so i, I got to move on. First of all is we repent. Now here's the thing. What do we repent of? Well, you repent of what you're struggling with. In other words, if you're struggling with fear, then you start repenting of fear. Lord God, I'm sorry for giving in to fear. I'm sorry for serving the God of fear. And if you know it's a certain kind of fear, I'm sorry for ser uh, serving the God of the fear of death or the fear of uh, failure or the fear of the unknown or the, the, the fear of anything that you're afraid of. If you know the specific. And name as many as you can. In other words, because demons like hanging out in packs. Everybody with me? Now, I'm not saying we all have a bunch of devils. What I'm saying is demonic influences come through every one of our lines. And we have the power of God to cut it off. Praise God. Amen. Now years and years ago, we had people in the church that tried to convince my dad and mom that every, every person, you know, even Christians filled with the Holy Ghost, even Jesus himself uh, had three, four hundred demons. Get out of here, you know. That's just a lie of the devil. That's just trying to give power to the devil. Well, we're not giving power to the devil tonight. What we're saying is we've all inherited lies from our fathers. We have generational things that come down. It's not like they wanted us to be cursed. 
But it still came down the line anyway. But we can stop it through the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can claim the thousand generation blessing that came all the way from, uh, you can say Adam, Noah, even Moses, because Moses is the one that wrote it down. But from those days all the way down to these days, right? Or we can keep living in the curse and keep passing it along. Let's not do that. So we repent. Lord God, I'm sorry. So if you're dealing with fear, I'm sorry for serving the God of fear. I'm sorry for getting into fear. I'm sorry, Lord God, that I've been so afraid of dying or I've been so afraid of getting sick and dying. Uh, Lord God, I'm so, uh, I'm so sorry for being so afraid of getting some coronavirus. And maybe the Lord will start showing you it's not really a fear of corona. It's really a fear of governmental power. Or maybe it's a God of deception that you've given into. Because that stuff we see on the media is a bunch of lies. And I'm not some conspiracy theorist. I'm just telling you, I'm starting to get hot under the collar about this stuff again. All the lies they're telling us. I don't have enough time to go into all that. But sometimes we just need to repent for being for serving a God of deception. So anyway, as many of these things as, as the Lord lays on your heart, you repent of them. And then you do something very peculiar. This is going to take a little practice. So we're going, to, we're going to do some of these things tomorrow night. Again, it's not going to be repeat after me prayers. But tomorrow night, we're going to go over these things. In fact, the Lord's telling me right now, we're definitely doing that tomorrow night. We're not doing a prayer drive. We're going to come right back here, and we're going to put this stuff into practice. Lord God, I'm sorry. And then you say, we have sinned. My lineage have sinned. Forgive us. So can I really do it? Daniel did it. We can do it. Okay? Especially when God's telling us to. Okay? That doesn't mean all your ancestors are going to be saved. What it's doing is it's cutting off the generational God. Okay? You can be free but still have the generational tie. Okay? You need to cut it all off. Okay? Next one. Renounce. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, I renounce every covenant, every contract, every alliance, every agreement. Okay, again, we're not just doing repeat after me prayers. Any kind of conscious or unconscious connection or agreement to believe in the power of Satan over the power of God. The power that, the, the idea that the devil can harm me and God can't heal me. The, the devil can steal from me and God won't restore to me. The devil can do things to me and God won't protect me. This is what we renounce. I renounce these gods, curses, spirits, demons. I cut off and renounce every contract or covenant. Agreement or alliance, okay? On the behalf of my lineage, we cut off these things. That's step number two. So the first R is repent. The second R is renounce. The third R is revelation. Because at this point, the Lord may have more to show you. We simply begin to pray, Lord God, if there's any more connections and tie-ins that I need to understand right now, Lord, reveal them to me in the name of Jesus 
Lord God, in Your mercy, deliver this to me. And we be sensitive to the Spirit. And you know, every single time, and I've been praying these prayers a lot over the last uh, months. This is now August. I've been doing this since March. Okay? This is, this is not new for me. Okay? We've been doing this for several months. My wife's been doing this. I've shared it with a couple of you already in the church. And, and I, I'm not sure if, if you've been doing that or not, but I know as far as me and my wife, this is something we've been doing for a while. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've never gotten such quick revelation from God. You start praying for I'm, I'm not talking minutes and hours go by. I'm talking seconds go by and download starts happening. Oh, yeah, i got to pray for this. Okay, there's another one. Oh, there's one tie in there. And so when God begins to give you more of these tie-ins, what do you do? You go back to step one. You go back over the repentance. You do it. Hey, listen, folks, you, you cannot be in a hurry with this stuff. This is not a quick fix. This is some high-level stuff, okay? So you go back to step one. Go back through the repentance for you and your lineage. Go back to the renouncing to you and your lineage, okay? Then you go back to the revelation stage one more time. If God doesn't show you anything fairly quickly, because in my experience, it comes fast. The Lord is interested in getting rid of stuff. He starts, bloop, 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 bloop. It takes a lot of honesty, folks. It takes a lot of honesty to just get before God and say, here I am, Lord. I'm willing to make a change right now. But when you before God know, okay, there's nothing else coming to me, then you, you move on to step four. And I'm going to do the next few steps very quickly because we'll put this into practice tomorrow night. The next step is, we already said renounce. The next step is remove. This is where we go from asking God for stuff to absolute declaration and proclamation. We go into the proclamation level. I proclaim the total removal. Again, you can... I, I proclaim the total removal of this God, this God, this curse, this spirit, this demon, this covenant, this contract, this alliance, this agreement. I... Declare the total removal in the name of Jesus. The next one, very important one you don't want to miss, is restoration. We know according to the book of 1 John, perfect love casts out fear, right? Well, let's reverse that equation. Fear casts out love when we let it. God is more powerful than the devil, so when we give in to God's love, His power pushes out all fear. But when we give in to the devil... Fear takes place of love. So when we're fighting against a, a God of fear, we can say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I proclaim the restoration of love that has been stolen from me. The restoration of peace that has been stolen of me. I have identified the thief, and the thief must pay according to the book of Proverbs seven times over. And so I am proclaiming and declaring the restitution of seven times the love and peace that the devil has taken from me after all these years of fear. You do that on the behalf of your lineage. You do, step five, you do it on the behalf of your lineage too. In fact, they, they all points do. Finally, after you've gone through the restitution, we'll go more over that tomorrow night. Finally, you get into the rejoice level. And we can't say enough about the rejoice level. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Somebody say amen. amen. 
We even go so far as to say, listen, when you fall into diverse temptations, rejoice. And Jesus says, when you're persecuted, rejoice. When you're fought against the devil, rejoice. When you're in a trial, rejoice. Because this is strength. Because now you're not ending the battle. You're stepping into the battle. And you need strength for the battle. So you cannot just skip by the rejoicing. And you need to find something in the Holy Ghost inside of you to begin to rejoice that God has given you this understanding in the first place and begin to show you and reveal to you the different tie-ins so that these things can be dealt with. Yes? Uh, restoration and restitution are different? No, same point. Uh, point number uh, five. Sorry, I said, I said removal is five. Uh, removal is four. Restoration is five. Rejoice is six. Okay, you can add a seventh. You can say reciprocate if you want, but that's not a revelation. That was just an idea. Tell somebody else, but we're not so sure if you should tell anybody else unless the Holy Ghost tells you, because again, this is not anything to play around with. This is not some new fad doctrine. Okay? But I, this is the reason why we've tested this thing out for the last several months. Okay? And we found a lot of success in our prayer life. Cutting things off and seeing them ended. And we're still fighting. Me and my wife are still fighting. Okay? But we're seeing success. All right? Stand with me. I know we've gone late. Stand with me. I'd like you to come back tomorrow night. I know months and months ago we said prayer is voluntary. Uh, by the way, prayer is not voluntary. But corporate prayer here at the church, we've, we've said it's voluntary. If you don't want to come, you don't have to come. Some of you have taken that option. That's fine. We're not condemning you. Uh, I really wish everybody would still come to pray, but we're, we're not trying to demand anybody have a relationship with God because we can't. But as many as are really serious about this, you don't have to show me you're serious, but if you're serious about wanting to get rid of generational stuff, come back tomorrow night. We'll pray for an hour, hour and a half. I can guarantee you it won't be the only session we do. This is not a quick fix. This is not a one and done deal. Okay? This is something we're going to... This is when we strap on the armor. Oh, we've, we've got a lot of lessons about that. Praise God. The overlay of the, of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ in the tabernacle. And all the... Man, there's so many things God's downloaded me with these days. I, I don't have enough time to even uh, catalog it with my, myself. But... And we won't do that tomorrow night. What we're going to do tomorrow night is we're going to go over the steps briefly and we're going to be praying intermittently. Okay? This is not just going to be let's all come and pray and we all separate to our own places and we pray for an hour or so and we go home. No, 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 no. This is going to be more of a directed prayer. We're going to go over repentance. Then we're going to go over removal, right? Or, sorry, renouncing. Then revelation, removal, restitution or restoration and rejoicing. We're going to do it all. We're going to spend the last part. I don't care if we've been here two hours. We're going to spend the last part of it rejoicing in the Lord together tomorrow night. If that's not something you're into, that's fine. But those of you who are serious, come back tomorrow night. We're going to hit this thing. Okay? We're going to hit this thing. And we're going to enter in to a full-on war that we're going to win in the name of Jesus. Amen. Lord God, we thank you for calling us to war. 
We thank you, Lord God, for teaching our fingers to fight. We thank you, Lord God, that you have strengthened us for the battle. Lord God, we thank you, Lord God, that the day has come for the removal of all such curses and gods in our life. We thank you, Lord God, for what you've done up to this point, leading up to this time in the Cumberland Church. And Lord God, we pray that your people would be protected tonight in the Holy Ghost. Lord God, we pray against the dragon's tail and the vengeful spirit of the enemy that you would send the hedge of the Holy Ghost around each and every one of us as we go into our homes tonight to encourage us to come back into the house of God tomorrow night so that we can take care of what needs to be taken care of starting tomorrow night and going forward in warfare in the name of Jesus. And we worship you, Lord God. We worship you, Lord God. We worship you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord God, you are good. And your mercy endures forever. Thank you, Jesus.